Hello, welcome to my presentation, especially made for the Cosmology Conference 2019, organized by the Bachelanta Institute. I'll be focusing um, on the fifth canto, chapters 16 to 26 of the Srimad Bhavatam, but not exclusively, and of course, translations and commentary by A.C. Bhattadanta Swami Prabhupada. Now, as we all know, there's a lot of great works that have been printed and, and published and so forth on the subject of Vedic cosmology within ISKCON, and it's not my intention to reinvent the wheel. In fact, I cannot do that. But my idea was to try and make all these things as accessible to the general public as possible through YouTube presentations, like this one actually. And especially I was inspired initially by Sadhaputa Prabhu and his book Sacred Universe. Because yes, we should try to find correlations between Vedic and modern astronomy and also explore similarities within other world cultures. A big tick goes there. Sadhaputa's uh, four models here I think are a very practical way forward too. And, for example, the Pranisphere model has a lot to support it, even culturally. For example, the 14th century astrolabe in the Geneva Museum of History and Science. Let's have a closer look at it. Note that the inscriptions are in Sanskrit. So there's a lot of historical and cultural evidence to support one of the models there. Sadaputa's comparison between the geocentric solar system and Bumandala in the fifth canto are also quite undeniable. Here's a geocentric solar system in four-dimensional phase space. This is showing the geocentric movements there of Venus. This is Mars, showing all the planets' movements in one go. This is incorporating all the inner planets and in fact in also um, Jupiter and Saturn there. Now isn't that incredible? When you think about it, can you actually deny the comparison here? Is it a coincidence, the fact that the, um, the distances correspond? Sadaputa Prabhu um, calculates it's over 10,000 at least to one against. And drawing our attention to the edge of Aloka Vash, we find the geocentric orbit of Uranus. And yet William Herschel in the West didn't discover Uranus until 1781, and yet its existence was in fact encoded in the Puranas for so much before that. I also wanted to touch on uh, Sadaputabu's book Vedic Cosmography and Astronomy, particularly the chapter on the Surya Siddhanta. After all, uh, Antadweepabu's paper, a fascinating paper on the TOVP Chandelier model, he writes, The universe can be seen in divergent ways according to sensual prowess of those who are viewing. He also says, It is foolish to reject any Vedic descriptions because they do not appear to be the same as other portions of the Vedic corpus. The Puranas give an extensive description of the earth as Bhumandala. In contrast to this, the Jyoti Veda texts describe the earth as Bhugola. This brings us on to distances of the planets from the sun according to the Siddhanta, and of course I refer again to Sataputta's book. Yes, the astronomical units AU correspond between the Siddhanta and the modern calculations with all the planets in the solar system, like this. Looking even at the diameters of the planets, again, if we use the process of trigonometry, we can actually find the diameters of the various planets of the solar system according to the Siddhanta. And again, there's a lot in common, a lot of accuracy between that and the modern astronomy. For example, here's Mars, here's Saturn. That's not coincidental. It's very important, of course, indeed, to touch on the extensive works of Danivir Goswami. 
because yes, a devotee's ultimate authority is the broad Vedic tradition and especially the Srimad Bhagavatam that must take priority over the modern empirical paradigm which is based on our very limited five senses, absolutely. And Tadarip uh, Prabhu um, supports that. He writes, It is not reasonable for us to reject Vedic descriptions of the world simply because they do not agree with our experience. Indeed, what we call reality is only our brain's attempt to process mundane data supplied from our five senses. That's how we experience the world. And it's like a prison for us, and anything we send out into space in a sense, is also in a prison if it's based as an extension of our five senses. But of course, the Vedic universe, the Brahmandala universe, of course, the horizontal Brahmandala there, with the higher planets going upwards, surrounded by all the elemental layers. And in the centre of all that, of course, is Jambadweep and the Mount Meru. But beyond our senses, for sure. But how to reconcile the statement the entire universe is only 4 billion miles in diameter. Bit of a sticking point, that one. Well, here's some suggestions. Firstly, we can add the layers of elemental creation that are around the Brahmandala universe. I calculate that as being just over 68,000 light years. That would take the edge of the universe there, including the ego layer, up to, well, a galactic level. Two, consider the logarithmic illustrations of the universe, like this one here. With the Earth at the centre moving out towards the edge of the universe and various increments here, but each one, each increment is representing ten times the previous, and one is also going backwards in time in this illustration. So at least it's showing here that the universe is multidimensional and cannot be summarised simply in a physical gross space where everything is just one time. Three, we must acknowledge that the vertical dimension of the Vedic universe is something quite other than gross physical miles. In fact, that's pretty fundamental. That brings me on to the, the work Mystic Universe by Ashish Deleda or Rishi Raj Prabhu. Yes, approach the relationship between time, space, mind and consciousness as something unphysical and hierarchical. Figurative descriptions of subtle things are no less real than gross physical objects. Absolutely. For example, in the top of um, his universe as a cosmic tree conception. Lord Brahma's at the top there, a single branch at the top, but he creates sub-creators who of course themselves create through time and so forth. And you end up with a cosmic tree, and I'm imposing this of course on the Brahmandali universe in the Bhagavatam. And at the bottom we get the Garbhadaka Ocean, which to, to my understanding represents an uncreated or unstable state of matter. Now some of my humble ideas and suggestions for your consideration, with, of course, a disclaimer. Let's look at the works of Sadaputa Prabhu, Danavega Swami, and of course Antadarip there, and throwing out Ashnish Dalela, and let's try and find out what everyone has got in common. Is there a consensus to go forward? I think we should move forward with the following understandings. The demigods experience the universe very differently to modern humans. And the universe includes both gross and subtle forms, so it cannot be fully represented in purely physical terms. That includes distances. But starting off with uh, this familiar thing, where and what is Jambadweep, as described in the fifth canto? Of course, we're familiar with Jambadweep. There's uh, Mount Meru there in the centre of the Golden Mountain, surrounded by a pattern there of various mountains and rivers. Here, the left diagram is the celestial Dambadrupa is described in the fifth canto with its various heavenly realms there. 
But of course, Satipupa Peru um, relates that, of course, to the mountainous areas of Asia, Central Asia. Let's try and put these two together, because we must. Prabhupada writes in the Bhagavatam, 5th Canto, 1711 purport, Among the nine Varshas of Jambadweep, the tract of land known as Bharatvash is understood to be the field of fruitive activities, the other eight Varshas to be meant for very highly elevated, pious persons. After returning from the heavenly planets, they enjoy the remaining results of their pious activities there. In the Ramayana, Sugriv describes the many realms for the monkeys to explore to find Sita, including the celestial realms of Jambudweep. In the Mahabharata, Bhima met Hanuman in the mountains on his way to the abode of Kavera. He needed Hanuman's cooperation before accessing that region. In the Bhagavatam 5th Canto of 1613-14, on the subject of Jambudweep, it reads, The waters of the first lake taste just like milk. The water of the second like honey, and that of the third like sugarcane juice. The fourth lake is filled with pure water. Therefore, most of Jambudweep is a group of divine realms that the qualified can access via gateways somewhere within the mountainous regions of Central Asia. To advanced personalities, those realms are experienced as the part of greater earth. Let's imagine here a rather beautiful view there of the Himalayan mountains, perhaps the yogis that find spots or gateways from which through sadhana, mantras and so forth in their subtle body can travel upwards perhaps in if, if, uh, terms of description to access other realms. Here for example here is the earth, the round circle representing the mountainous regions as described. Great personalities can actually see more than that. Perhaps indeed they can see great great mountains, but here representing the height 80,000 miles of travelling upwards in the subtle body, via which one can access these other realms like Kimpurush, for example, part of Jambudweep. And from there, one, if one is qualified, one can go higher still to Harivash and Ilitvash. And the high demigods can see the whole of Jambudweep simultaneously like this, as described in the Bhagavatam. And at the top, the various mountains, the local embassies of key demigods. But what about gateways to the subterranean planets underneath Jambudweep? That's a fascinating subject. Ajadweep writes in his paper, That which exists below Bumandala will also be found below Gokula. Bugola. Thus, if one could travel below the Earth globe, one would find subterranean planets. Thus, the Siddhanta states that these Batanalokas are within the Earth globe. That's a really good way forward. In that context, Meru, of course, would be the North and South Pole, so underneath there, of course, would be underneath the Earth. And one needs to go down into the Earth, but also subtly travel downwards, and in that way, one can access the lower planets. If one wanted to, that is. I also wanted to bring in this conception. Here, of course, is the Bugola, the Earth globe, as well, of course, the flat plane of Bumandala. Put those two models together, and we actually open up the idea that perhaps the low planets could also be accessed from other planets underneath in a, in a solar system. The vertical aspect of the universe is ultimately to do with levels and types of consciousness. For example, this vertical graph of the solar system is according to temperature and nothing to do with physical distances. For example here, according to this graph, um, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn will be nearer to the Earth than Venus because Venus is much hotter, but it's not to do with physical distance. Here's another example. Here's a mother, father and their child. And of course they're all physically close together. 
However, the mother here has a link, a mental link in this case, a maturity link, um, a mental capacity link with the teacher. So in one sense, she's closer to him from a kind of a subtle point of view. Another example, here's the earth, moon and sun relationship in traditional, not to scale, but it gives us an idea. But it's not the only way of experiencing such distances. Perhaps from the point of view of the yogi, with subtle vertical travel, the yogi reaches the sun before the celestial moon. Uh, consider Prabhupada's quotes in the Nectar of Devotion. A mystic yogi can enter into the sun planet simply by using the rays of the sunshine. That's a product of spiritual advancement through sadhanas such as meditation and yoga. I want to briefly touch again on the universe as a cosmic tree. There's of course the cosmic tree there as described by Avnish Delena. And the subtle forms are created first. The more higher you go up the tree, of course, the more subtle things actually are. But as you go through the creation process, they get grosser. And this understanding, those at the top, like Lord Brahma, can see the whole thing. But as you work through, down the branches, through the creational path, things get grosser. And the living entities there cannot see above them, but only can see what's below them. So how would that affect space exploration and our experience of it, given that we're quite low down the tree. Babatone 42969 Purport reads, The darkness occurring before the full moon can be explained as another planet known as Rahu. In other words, those who are supposed to be going to the moon are not going to the moon, but to the planet Rahu. Let's explore that a bit. The celestial Vedic white moon here, of course, is situated in the third status of the upper planetary system, according to the Bhagavatam. And here's Rahu, which is essentially a solar eclipse, but a different planet in its own right, Vedically speaking. Let's try and understand that. This branch here of the cosmic tree represents the physical location of the moon. However, on it there's the celestial moon, and below it, in a, in a kind of a subtle way, is the Rahu planet. Rahu is experienced as a place of grey dust and craters, but the celestial moon is experienced, of course, as a heavenly realm with kusha grass and all kinds of things like rasa drinks and so forth. However, it's a little bit like experiencing like a two-dimensional object with a three-dimensional one. The, fl the flat liners, of course, are experiencing the lower dimension. Another way of looking at it, here's the demigods there in the top left of the corner, and they have a certain vision which is different from that of the modern astronomer. The demigods, in this example, can see a three-dimensional city, but the modern astronomer can only see the two-dimensional version of that same city. But you see, they're both right in their own way, but the vision, the consciousness, is quite different. Relating the cosmic tree to the vertical aspect of the Vedic universe. Now here, of course, in physical space, the types of planets in the universe are mixed, and this is supported by quotes from Prabhupada. However, but in the Vedic universe, they are stacked hierarchically, like represented here in this diagram. This is actually quite reminiscent here of the chakras of the human body and the spiritual progression that brings, and the, and the rising of the pranic air. And even we can connect that with the Rat Sarup, the universal form of the Lord himself. I wanted to touch on heavenly planets with exotic oceans, an unavoidable subject in my view if one is studying the fifth canto. The Bhagavatam, seventh canto, four, seventeen, purport. Planets within the universe contain oceans of sugarcane juice, liquor, ghee, milk, and sweet water. And here are those planets. 
The Chaitanya Taitamrita Majalila 20-218 Outer space is like an ocean of air. Just as there are islands in the watery ocean, these planets in the ocean of space are called dweeps, or islands in outer space. But what about the dweeps listed as part of the inner Bumandala? Like Saka dweep, uh, Pushkara dweep, Kronchra dweep, and so forth. Well, I suggest these heavenly planets are above the relatively flat plane of the Bumandala system, but are linked to it in some way. Let's argue for that, justifying that the dweeps, the planets, have heights above Bumandala vertically. Here's Bumandala from the top, and the traditional Mount Meru there in the centre. Compare Bumandala with the Shi Yantra, and the three-dimensional version of the Shi Yantra, the Maha Meru, with Mount Meru at the top centre there. So we're using Maha Meru here as opening up the possibility of a height aspect to Bumandala. Now Bhugoda Varanam by Sri Variraj Tirtha, of course, here's an illustration from that. I've got this from one of Dandavirga Swami's books. Here's a kind of a sense of steps or three-dimensional version of Brahmandala. The Sri Siddhanta, for example, describes Jamadripa as a stairway leading to the heavenly Mount Meru in the middle. And it's also supported um, in the Vatsya Purana. Here's another illustration here in uh, one of Dandavirga Swami's books. Here's another one I found, very, very interesting here, almost kind of expressing the same thing, the three-dimensional Brumandala, where there's places in Brumandala which actually have links to higher realms. And there you go, perhaps indeed, these various planets within that region do have vertical identities too. To explain that a bit more, here's a graph with the uh, x-axis, the horizontal distance there, of course, and the vertical y-axis. But the vertical y-axis is representing the high dimensions. The physical distance is the horizontal. There's the Earth there in the corner, and there's Venus, of course, which um, has a certain physical distance away from the Earth, quite far, a few, you know, tens of millions of miles. But actually, it doesn't have much of a vertical distance. And thus, it's experienced in a gross way. It's a hellishly hot place. However, other realms, perhaps equal physical distance from the Earth, but of a much higher dimensional existence, which are in fact heavenly planets. To go from the Earth to such a heavenly planet, one would have to travel physically, but also in a subtle, higher dimensional way. Further connecting Bumandala with sacred geometry. There's Bumandala from the top there, and there's the various directional demigods, as described, Indra, Yamaraj, Varuna and Soma. This is reminiscent, of course, of a yantra. Bumandala also has directional features of a yantra. Compare Buddhist Kalachakra Mandala, representing the cosmos. Shi Yantra, or sometimes known as Chakra Yantra, includes nine interlocking triangles that represent the cosmos. Here is the Kurma Shi Yantra. And this is the same thing in three dimensions, of course, reminiscent uh, using the Mahameru concept as Kuma carrying the universe on his back. The Borobudur Buddhist temple in uh, Java, Indonesia. Again, our friend Mount Meru there at the top center. Similar themes are running there. And of course, using the Vastu Purusha Mandala, again, bringing architecture. And for example, we look at Angkor Wat there in Cambodia, we have a temple representing the cosmos and following Vastu. Final section, the temple of the Vedic planetarium. A few humble ideas for your consideration. 
looking at a floor of a temple in Tamil Nadu there. Here is a mandala, a traditional floor mandala. And perhaps the Bermandala geocentric solar system could be exhibited in the TOVP on a floor level. This would be a wonderful thing to see. And apparently I found out later that's similar to Charanarenudas's um, Vedic planetarium immersion experience. So this, there's a kind of similar thought going on here. However, with me, I think you'd have to tip Bumandala by 23 degrees if you wanted a perpendicular Meru, or North Pole, pointing directly upwards to the Pole Star, or Druva Loka. Again, it's just a matter of perspective. Or one could actually have a horizontal Bumandala, but have it tipped in this way instead. And why not have some movement as well? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to see? The subterranean realms would be literally underneath from the visitor's experience, or even underground, like this. And as for the heavenly realms, why not about some holograms, some holographic planetarium exhibitions? Why not make it beautiful and fantastic? And what are the advantages of using holograms? Well, one can switch between perceptions within the same space. You would have a human view versus a demigod view. There'll be no problem with weight or deterioration of some objects. One can update and change with less expense. And the use of latex technology will be very attractive to guests, especially the youth, in fact, but to everybody. Well, thank you for bearing with me. I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, take care now. Hare Krishna.